Welcome to Ladies Get Action, the podcast where two best friends talk about getting action movies. This week we watched Unlocked, the 2017 thriller, political thriller with uh, Numi Rapace and Orlando Bloom. For part of it. <laughs> well, yeah, for like a tiny bit. Yeah. Tony Collette, John Malkovich. Just fair warning, if you notice we sound a little bit different this episode, it's because we're recording remotely, but sound quality will improve over the next couple of weeks as we figure this out. Yes. Before we get into the movie, Rin, how has your week been? How have you been? Well, we were just talking about this off the pod. Uh, My week has been great. I had a birthday and celebrated with an epic birthday picnic in the park, which I thought I was like, oh, it's going to be like four hours. It'll be really great. And actually ended up being a stunningly fun uh, eight hours. Yeah. I had a feeling it was going to be that long. I remember when you first were saying you were going to do like one to five. I was like, Oh, so you're leaving your party early? (laughs) Well, you were right. Yeah, it was so fun, though. We made flower crowns and we just laughed and played games. And it was a great group of people. So much food. Yeah, it was such a good group of people. Um, Some of us, the birthday girl in particular, may have drank a little bit too much (laughs) rosé. But that's like what you have to do on your birthday. Yes. Well, or, you know, your your post-birthday party. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I was finishing. It was very funny. I like had my birthday on Thursday was like my actual day of birth. And then I had the party on Saturday. And on Saturday morning, I was like, Rebecca and I had gone to Trader Joe's to pick up things for the party and the flower crowns and the flowers. And I got back home and I was like finishing the hem 15 minutes before we were supposed to leave of this birthday dress. Mm -hmm. It looked great though. It was really thing. It was really fun to make, but uh, yeah. So the birthday took up most of my my week which is funny just because I I've always been the person being like oh I'm just gonna have a picnic in the park or like I'm gonna have it's gonna be a very chill birthday and it ended up being like a big focus of my week which was super fun (laughs) how was your week it's been really good it's been like fun and eventful your birthday was a big part of it and that was great what else I mean we talked about this a little bit in our last episode because we recorded recently but I had family in town and that was really fun and um, it's been a nice long weekend. Today I got to go swimming, which was really great. Yay! That was really fun at a friend's pool um, at their building. And uh, yesterday I went on a crazy walk, 160 blocks. Um, and I also saw the movie Lightyear, which I want to talk about. Okay. That's the one with the tagline. I think it was like Vulture or BuzzFeed had that article that was like, Lightyear, this buzz fucks. Yeah, right? buzz can fuck. Right. <laughs> Who does the voice for that? Is it Chris Evans? Yes. Ah, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I really, I hadn't been like, oh, I got to see that movie um, or anything at all. Uh, but I had the day to myself and I was like, this is a good idea. I will basically walk as far as I can south, go see whatever's playing. Because I have AMC A-list where you can watch them. You know, you pay 20 bucks and then you watch however many movies you want. So I'd seen all the other movies. I'm like, I'll, all right, light year, I'll see that. So I walked down there and sat down in the movie theater, um, exhausted because I walked a hundred blocks south. I didn't intend to walk the whole way, but I did, which is fun. And so the conceit of the movie is there's like a title, a title card at the beginning. And it just explains that this movie is, you've seen Toy Story, right? Oh yeah. Toy Story one, two, I think I missed maybe three or four, but definitely original Toy Story. Right. So basically uh, the conceit is that this is the movie that Andy watched that made him want to get the Buzz Lightyear toy. Oh, okay. Oh, that's very meta. Yeah. So within the world of Toy Story, this is live action. The movie is a better version of Top Gun. <laughs> like top to bottom. Does uh, Buzz learn anything? Yes. That's why, why it's a better film. Oh man. Okay. So several scenes in the movie mirror Top Gun. I took notes right afterwards. Um, starting with the opening scene, or one of the earlier opening scenes, Buzz steals a plane to go prove his point. Yeah, that's lifted straight from Top Gun. Yeah, and he gets chased down uh, because he knows what's best. And then basically the the plot of the movie, um, and I'll try and make this as spoiler-free as possible, (laughs) is that he ends up realizing he, he loses, it's actually very tragic and beautiful. I like this movie. He loses decades of time in everyone around him's life that he cares about because of his sort of foolhardy, like singular mission to do whatever he thinks is the best thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he watches his best friend's life pass him by. Oh. 
that's so sad. It's actually really, really fucking sad, but beautiful. Um, and she's a gay character and it's great. And they handle that beautifully. He loses so much because he is so stubborn and he believes he has the only right answer. And he learns throughout the film that he doesn't have the only right answer. And he needs to listen to other people in order to grow and that he should appreciate the people around him. And that in the very end, he realizes that he was never right all along. Ooh, oh man. And then in a a final scene or a later scene that directly mirrors Top Gun, the general that he's answering to says, now we want you to lead this like elite force of space rangers and train them to be just like you, you know, like a la the Top Gun school. And he's like, no, thanks. I'm going to stick with my friends instead. Wow. So he chooses not to fail Skyward. He learns uh, that his ego was his biggest flaw. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. He's looking at one solution while all the while missing that everyone else is like moving on around him and came up with a better solution that he missed. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah. But he gets to the program eventually. There's a robot cat in it that's so cute. <laughs> and I want one, like a little stuffed one. You're like, this is the cat I want. It's so funny. And it steals the whole movie, the robot cat. And it's named Socks, like our friend Sheila's cat. It's so cute. That's very cute. Yeah, it's it's a great movie, actually. Is that, is it Disney? No, it's Pixar. Yeah, it's Disney. So it's it's Disney and Pixar. Yeah, so we should be able to find you a a, a stuffed robot cat. Yeah, right? I'm I'm sure. I, I have no doubt they will be selling these if they're not already. (laughs) <laughs> and the funny thing is so the creators of the movie were like answering this funny interview um that's where they explained oh within the world of the first toy story this film is live action like andy yeah. saw it live action and then people said well the obvious question is like the star of this movie is really this robot cat why wouldn't he want the robot cat toy instead of the buzz Lightyear toy and their answer i thought was brilliant it was like oh the robot cat is so wanted it's sold out everywhere it's the most it's also expensive it's like a 70 dollars toy and it's sold out everywhere and andy's mom's been trying to get it but like you don't you can't find the robot cat toy oh that's great <laughs> <laughs> that is a good answer actually yeah that's pretty I that was pretty clever but it was just so funny seeing this movie on the heels of watching top gun and discussing top gun and top gun maverick to see a movie that is about this man growing and making different choices in a way that we haven't seen with those films. It's almost as if the uh, creators of this film grew up with Top Gun and were like, it's a great movie, but you know what? We would make these changes. I think they probably did. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see it. Yeah. I think you should watch it. I'm sure it'll be on Disney plus in no time. Yeah. I had absolutely no intention of watching it, but now I will. Yeah. It's, it's really sweet. So yeah, that was Lightyear. I recommend it. <laughs> and I don't think I gave too much away, but it's, I really enjoy that. Yeah. Well, I'll prepare myself for the sadness. So it's not so sad. Like, like Pixar movies can really get you. Oh yeah. Um, so it's not, I didn't cry, but okay. there are parts of it where I was like, oh, this is sad, but beautiful. Aww. So um, moving on to Unlocked. Yes. A little, little different than Lightyear. Way different than Lightyear. Um, I'm glad you you said the lead actress's name a moment ago because I had no clue who she was. I still don't. She's a very famous, I believe, Danish actress. I'm probably going to get that wrong, actually. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. She's, a, she's Swedish. <laughs> but she kind of came to fame for the original uh, Girl Who Picked the Hornet's Nest. Do you remember those movies? Nope. Okay. It, it was a series of crime novels that were made into movies in Sweden. Is that a dragon tattoo? Oh, yes, that's what it is. Sorry. Girl with a dragon, dragon skin tattoo. Yeah. Or dragon tattoo. Yeah. And then they had they remade it into a, like an American version with Rooney Mara. So she was the lead in the Swedish version? Yeah. Okay. So then she's had a bunch of other American movies, um, including this one, I guess. Any that we would know? Because I've literally never seen her face. She was in Sherlock Holmes, a bunch of action movies, um, What Happened to Monday, Prometheus, Alien Covenant. What was her character's name in this? Did you catch it? Alice. So what were your overall thoughts and feelings other than you didn't know the lead? (laughs) Um, This was, I didn't really like it. I will say this movie successfully surprised me many times. I thought 
the twists almost all worked for me. And I was like gasping a lot. So it's successful at that. I was like, oh, and he's bad too. And he's bad too. And this one's that one. And oh, wow. But I didn't like it. <laughs> I, I don't really like movies that are really about like terrorism and then the biological weapon of it all, which we'll get into. But yeah, what did you think? What were your overall thoughts before we get into it? It was really violent, which was hard. Yeah, I think movies about terrorism can be difficult. And obviously also like there's a big difference between this movie and like Fast and the Furious, which is just like a fun, lighthearted action movie. Whereas this one had pretty serious stakes and was a little like bleaker. I actually really liked it because there were so many parts where, where I was like, also, like you said, like gasping, like what? And people who I thought were bad were not. Mm-hmm. And people who I was like, kind of didn't pay attention to were bad. Yeah. You know? And there were several things that happened that I really liked, especially with regards to like Orlando Bloom's character and how he interacted with um, Alice, who's Numi Rapace's character. Um, and we'll talk about that. Overall, I liked it. And I also love seeing Tony Collette in anything. So, yeah, I, lo- I mean, I love Tony Collette. I didn't feel like she had much to do here. And then I was confused in the end why Alice would go back to the CIA and not just MI5 with her friend the one who actually trusts her in Tony Clapp. Yeah, that's interesting. I agree. I mean, like my, the thing I liked about it, I think is all the twists work. Like every time they're like, but this is all fake. I was like, yeah, that's great. Um, I was surprised when like Orlando Bloom was a bad guy. I was surprised. And I was surprised when Michael Douglas was alive. Um, Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. I was surprised by all of it. I thought it was all very successful. But I just didn't like being in this world. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to spend time there. And I never connected with Alice, really. And so it was just like, okay, like, I just don't want to be around these people. But like, good job surprising me. That's fair. So how would you describe Unlocked as like a action genre? It's, it's suspense. I mean, there's, it's interesting because we're not including this in our America the Great series. But it made me think about Enemy of the State. I thought the same thing too. And I had a lot of questions about like what we think the movie is trying to tell us about government. For sure. And um, I think at the end, Michael Douglas's little speech was both confusing and interesting because he's like talking of like, and she like answers it for him, which is always annoying, like in a script where she is, she's t- like translating what he's saying because it doesn't make any sense. So she's like, <laughs> oh, that's, uh, you're talking about like, what you call it? Medical, medical martial law, as if that's a thing. But he wants less privacy and he wants to like shock the country into giving up more private information so the CIA can do a better job by way of a biological weapon that is intended to cross country lines and affect children first and is transmissible uh, by air. Yeah, it was definitely interesting watching this two years into an actual pandemic too yeah especially because they kept talking about how like well well he did in that speech i'm actually not kept only one time talked about how a biological weapon is like really the thing like like a virus is really what's going to get like our country like taking action (laughs) and like 9-11 was like only temporary but like really like look at you know like other like or like um like what do you say ebola they didn't like really take it seriously but they should have and we're going to make him take it seriously with a biological weapon and we'll have quarantine camps. And like, yeah. What do you think this film was trying to say? I think it was trying to, I mean, yeah. I also think thought of enemy of the state, but I think it was trying to sort of give us the mission impossible slash the Jason Bourne treatment, which is that governments, there are individuals within governments who are corrupt, but there are also individuals within governments who can be trusted and we have to believe in them to uphold the system but not in our government not in the cia just in mi5 right right apparently yeah not in america right like why would she go back to the cia why not stick with mi5 she lives in london and none of the cia guys are trustworthy they immediately don't trust her when she's giving them important information I but know. her friend at mi5 immediately does trust her and has her back a couple of times why would she go back to the CIA guys at the end to be like, okay, I guess I'll go on my next mission. I don't know. And yeah, it was immediately like, oh, we don't trust you anymore. Or like, she's oh, immediately. Yeah. I don't, 
I don't know what the film is saying. Like terrorists are bad, but sometimes the government's a terrorist. I think so. America has a lot to answer for. I guess. Yeah, I did like it. I liked, I just thought it was so tense Mm -hmm. and surprising. And I I thought she like might not have been likable, but the character also, I mean, like there's that scene on the roof where Orlando Bloom is like, you don't have to do this alone. I can help you. And she's like, no, I don't want help. I'm going to do it. Like I'm a lone wolf basically. Yeah. Um, so I think her character was just, that was kind of like the journey she was meant to go on to realize that she could have help. Except so for he betrayed her. Right. And then her other, and then the 18 year old kid, she was, you know, didn't want recruited, died. Yeah. I don't know. I thought she was very stiff, especially in that, um, the roof scene. Because mm. Orlando Bloom was doing all the persuading and talking and it wasn't that she was onto him, but she was very like, okay, I guess you won me over. Like, it's just, I didn't see why she would agree to what he was saying and let him come along. Mm-hmm. I don't think he made a compelling case, but he was trying to persuade her. And if she's a CIA genius, like, and like master interrogator and like bullshit detector, she didn't put up much of a fight. I don't know. She just seems so like nothing, nothing there in that scene to me. I mean, I thought he was making some points that would give her pause. And I thought each time she did say like, actually, no, I don't want that. Like, I mean, he made a lot of threats is what he did you know how you think he was basically like i'm gonna be another loose end you'll have to tie up i know too much also you know who else have you got i'm i'm trained by the marines Um, right too bad you can vet him for that yeah well yeah let's get into what this plot is so we start off and she works in hr somewhere she works at like a job force center like a community job force center helping resolve issues or employment problems there are all these really interesting clips from the very beginning of just like London kind of um, different clips of people speaking different languages and kind of in a market. And I was like, is this going to come into play? But it does because it immediately goes into her job. And But yeah, but we soon learn that that, that is not her actual job. Right, right. That it's kind of a cover so that she can monitor terrorist activity in London. And she's been placed in like a very like Arabic heavy area in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's there to like monitor and, and keep an eye on suspicious activity. And she's got a little friend um, who I guess she helps out through her cover job too. Yeah, I think so. Seems like it. Um, and he gives her like a heads up about some people like living in an apartment that may be suspicious. And she's friends with Tony Collette, who has quite a haircut. <laughs> I was going to say sporting quite a look. Bleach blonde platinum cropped close to the skull. <laughs> hmm it was very like Judy Dench, but shorter. Yeah. But they're friends. It was just like the teeniest moment in the scene where they meet up, they meet up at like a food cart and they have a little conversation. And then our lead jogs out of the scene, like oh, jogs yeah. off stage. And I thought that was the weirdest thing ever. And it just made me think about how in film you don't see people leaving the scene necessarily like that. Oh. Like what like is like walking off set, like they they stop the camera a little bit too late. Right. Like it just looked really sloppy to me. I didn't actually catch that. Like um, you're just gonna jog away from this whole conversation. You're not like in jogging outfit. You're not like what? She's just like gotta go. Yeah, I said that was on. But that you know, that's when we also find out there's this terrorist attack in Paris in her past, and she's like hitting a punching bag with her feelings. Yeah, I didn't love some of the flashback sequences in this. Yeah, um, that was where it was very violent. What did we just watch where I was like, I didn't, oh, Stranger Things. That's right. Yes. Where it, it felt like Stranger Things, where they were really lingering on. Yeah. Like, and I get it was supposed to be like the horror of, of dead children. But you show me it once and I get it. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. I'm like, I get it. I get it. Stop showing it to me. So I really liked this is sort of an overarching thing. Speaking of things that characters learn. I did really like the journey that she Alice goes on um, of where it kind of feels like she learns that there's room for compromise within her own idea of what terrorism is. Maybe it's more like she has to rearrange her worldview of like maybe the, the powers that are good and the powers that are bad because sure. she starts off with like Michael Douglas, who we learn, later learn is like her mentor is the one person she trusts and she has no reason not to, but there's no reason for her to suspect anybody. And there's a really beautiful moment when she gets to the Iman and meets with up, up with him and realizes that he is actually trying to do good in the world too, that he has changed. Yeah. And it's, I think it's just more, maybe she's realizing that people can change. Right. I'm not sure I'm saying it super right, but I, I feel like she went on a journey of 
understanding something. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's something in what you're saying. I disagree that I don't think she went on a journey as a character. Like, I don't think there was, I didn't see growth. Mm. Um, so that's where like I'm hitting against what you're saying. But yeah. what I like about what you're saying is, and I agree with this, is that thematically she keeps not underestimating, but misestimating people. She thinks, like you said, she has no reason to not think he's trustworthy, but she thinks Michael Douglas is trustworthy. She thinks Orlando Bloom is trustworthy and she's wrong on both counts. She assumes the CIA people who pick her up in the beginning are trustworthy and she's wrong. She assumes that Iman is distrustworthy and she's wrong. So I just don't know what that means. She's got bad judgment. It feels like she has good, the film is saying she's got good judgment. Right, well, she has no reason to doubt Michael Douglas. The, the men who pick her up, who she think are part of the CIA are like yeah. have the codes like they have everything that they're supposed right. to have. right she's not being sloppy and not picking up signs yeah I mean the Amon has you know made bad like has been a terrorist in the past yeah he just blew up a big ship right a lot of people so it's very I mean, fair that she'd be like hey you're still seems like you're yeah. still doing terrorism things and he's like I've changed my mind she's like you change your mind after killing all those people he's like yeah <laughs> right. I think I think it's you're right. It's more of a thematic thing of of something there where she has. I, I'm not really sure, but anyway. So back to uh, the moment where we learned that she made a big mistake. Right. She's decided that she's made a big mistake, and that it's her fault that all these people in Paris died in the bombing. And we find out later, like the details that oh, she like interrogated a guy, but she had graded her job, but it was too late. Yeah, it was like things outside of her control because it was being manipulated from above her. Yes, exactly. I find out later, later that it was super manipulated by the CIA. But at this moment, we don't know that. she She's just talking and then jogging off from her meeting with Tony Collette. Uh, that's when I was like, oh no, is this a terrorist movie? Because you see, you know, a young Muslim guy meeting the Iman and getting a secret message. And it seems like he might be, I thought, my first thought was that he was going to be like a suicide bomber or something. But the action starts right away. And I thought this stuff was great where a, a group of people nab that guy on his bike. Like mm-hmm. He's going off with his message and you don't know what else. And this car crashes into him and grabs him. Oh, here, here's something. They leave his motorcycle. They grab the guy. These are the bad guys who grab him, right? These are the good, the good guys. These are the real CIA. Okay. When does the bad CIA come in? Immediately after that. We don't see it, but it's like revealed in a scene. Right. That okay. They were shot. Like they were like, oh, the it's like a point blank shooting or whatever. They must have attacked them immediately after they nabbed our courier. I gotcha. Oh, you're right. Yes, that's that's correct. My thought was because they go tracked on his cell phone later. He says almost immediately, I'm they're gonna text me the location. They don't think that's it's a good time to go find his cell phone. Uh I don't know. Yeah, maybe they were like, oh, he's probably he's probably gone. These kids these days, they've got in their back pockets. We don't need to think about that. Right. We're too busy beating him up to like make him give us the cell phone. Yeah, I just thought it was odd because they go looking for it later. And I'm like, they left on the motorcycle. Right. That's really shoddy assassin work. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, this guy gets kidnapped and transfers hands apparently. And they have to call in someone who's close and who knows Arabic. But I guess they say that she doesn't know Arabic. They need an interrogator. Well, no, he speaks some sort of like um, very specific Moroccan dialect. Yeah. And so she doesn't speak that. So they bring in an interpreter and John Malkovich walks in. Also, I thought John Malkovich was bad. Oh, you did? He seems bad. He seems bad. It's just one of those actor things where certain actors come on screen and I just don't trust them. That's very fair. He did seem right. He had that like wink in his eye, like I'm bad. Right. I'm here to do some bad things. Right. Um, You're only paying me sixty thousand dollars. I'm gonna do bad things. Thirty years in the service. <laughs> um, Rebecca and I. From? Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say we're we're referencing Mission Impossible One, the very first Mission Impossible, where we learned that John Voight has worked all <laughs> his life for sixty thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. And we're referencing that because we just did some very depressing math about New York City and state taxes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And how much money it would take for you to betray your country uh, if you work for the CIA and you were only making 60 grand over 30 years. I mean, he's probably like, if you live in DC, New York, or like San Francisco, that's like 45,000. If that, terrible. Well, I'm going to assume that John Malkovich is making more because well you're right he's he does do the right thing I guess 
Right. So he's probably raking in like 200,000. Yeah. After tax. Mm-hmm. But that was a really interesting scene where he comes in and he's like, I don't want to be here. My wife is, you know. Waiting. Oh, I did like that too. Yeah. Waiting for dinner. And he has this, when, when he's sitting in the chair, he has this move where he, he's like looking around the room and he like looks behind him by tilting his head back. Mm-hmm. And it just felt so real and like not in a movie-esque. That I appreciated it. A weird physical thing that you wouldn't normally see in a movie. You'd see it like on stage. Yeah, he was cool. Basically, they're like, we got to call someone in to interrogate this guy. And so they're like, do you know her file though? Right. She's Basically. Oh, that's where I hated the backstory. It was like, here's a flashback of her. She's like- a runaway and she broke her teacher's arm because he was suspected of touching the other girls. And he did. I love how they're like, we know he was a pervert. We didn't do anything about it. <laughs> right, right. We just let him live his life. But yeah, they're like, she's troubled in Paris. And... But she's one of our best. Oh, they also, oh my God, they also in this scene coined a phrase, trust fund jihadi. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. they're talking about this one guy who's a white guy who got radicalized and is now one of the bigger terrorists they're dealing with. And he's uh, one of the bad guys we encounter later. Trust fund jihadi. Yeah, I forgot about that phrase. It was a little insensitive. I mean, obviously he's a terrorist, so we don't need to be sensitive. But I thought it was a little insensitive that like John Malkovich was like, what's his name? His name is like Matt or something. And then his little assistant goes, well, he actually changed his name when he converted. I don't care what he changed his name to. I know. Parts of this movie had me worried, like, how insensitive is this point? Yes, totally. And... I think overall, not as insensitive as it could have been, but still, you know, it doesn't get an A plus. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more Unlocked. And we're back. So we also meet Michael Douglas, who yeah. is Alice's, I that we've spoiled it for everybody, but who is Alice's mentor. And like, at first I was a, a little worried that she was his wife. Oh, very, oh. very a la um, Mission Impossible. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, okay, no, no, no. They're telling us, they're making it clear that she's his mentor or he's, he's her mentor. Although there was a certain part where he was like also telling her like, you don't do well with boredom. And like, I know it's right for you. You know, I'm going to make the choice to bring you back in the field that I didn't appreciate. Yeah, we should have known he was bad then, right? Yeah. Um, but she meets up with him. He's like, yeah, get out there, kid. Um, and it wasn't your fault in Paris. So she goes into this interrogation and it's like in a hotel room and they're beating this poor kid up, but we don't know how involved he is in the terrorist thing. So it's like, I guess it's okay if he's a terrorist and she's got like all her own rules and she's like, no cameras, no this, I'm going to do it my way. And it just like, you know, it's a scene showing that she's very good at her job. Yeah, the movie really asks us to, I mean, it, it answers these questions, but from like the start, it asks us to play very fast and loose with how comfortable we are of treatment of human beings if we are, if they're labeled a terrorist. Like you just said, they're beating up this 19-year-old kid. Yeah. Yeah, so she like takes a break. Every single move that she makes in this scene is like very calculated. Like it seems like she's taking a break and just kind of lounging around and the guy who's running the operation is like, we don't have much time. What are you doing? And she's like, I'm doing my job. This is part of it. Leaving somebody to just stew in an interrogation room. Right. Right. Because she's doing it without hitting him. But yeah, so she does this interrogation. They find out the plan. Oh, God. I forget who says this, but I had to write down uh, the, the biological weapon that they're about to deploy. It said oh. variant K. It's on every jihadi's wish list. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, I thought that was really funny. It's the hottest item for Christmas. Who was that SNL character? He was like, it's the hottest club in town. Oh, yes, of course. Um, I know I know exactly who you mean. Bill Hader plays yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. read his name. That's what I saw that as like. Oh. But this is where we get to our first little big twist. Yes. Very um, exciting. Yeah. And I, like, I also didn't see this coming. So she, like, leaves the interrogation room. She gets a personal call. She said, you know, basically, she's like, this is, it's just my personal life. Um, we see that it's mom on the cell phone. So she goes into the bathroom, closes the door, and answers it. And it's the actual CIA calling. 
Yeah. And they're like, we have a job for you and we need you to interrogate this kid. She goes, is it a 19 year old Muslim kid? <laughs> and they're like, uh, how'd you know that? She goes, I'm already doing it. And they're like, that's bad. That's not us. And so she's like flushing the toilet. She's like, okay, I'll uh, call you back. But it was a great twist. And then she gets right back in the room and she can see through the reflection of something that they're about to shoot her as soon as she gives them this certain piece of information. Really goes to show that you should always take your sunglasses into the room with you, like your reflective sunglasses. Absolutely. Never let someone stand behind you because they probably have a gun. Oh, that was a big what moment. Yeah, that was an exciting what moment for me. I was surprised by that. So she conceives a plan after she goes back into the room. She tells uh, her, you know, her, the, the kid that, you know, to trust her to basically play along. Mm-hmm. And then she gets them out of there with some very cool action skills. Um, but he gets killed in the meantime. That was sad, but she gets out okay. That's, that's where I found when I was like, I thought Orlando Bloom was in this. Like we've seen so many people. We've met so many characters, but no Orlando Bloom. Yeah. I actually forgot that he was in this at this point. I was like so into the twist. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she goes to Michael Douglas's apartment. Right. And initially I did think he was involved when she went to go see him. I did too. Well, I was, I was really wondering, I was like, this feels like it's going to be like a mission impossible moment. Right. Where he's going to be like, well, and like drinking from a, a glass and be like, I always thought you were too clever for your own good. or something, And then like, you know, throw the glass at her and attack her. Yeah. But instead he gets shot and then mm-hmm. assassinated. And I believed it. I thought he was dead. I did too. Well, we see the gun go straight at his head. Yeah. Um, and that's when I was like, oh, this isn't going to be like a Michael or sorry, like a Mission Impossible moment with John Voight where it's like the selfie. Oh, that selfie was so cam. funny. He took a picture of himself bleeding from his tummy like, oh, right. But, but we, she looks over and sees him. Yeah. Um, so she goes to his safe house in a very nice apartment building that he had bought for his wife. Again, oh, Michael also, Douglas. Okay, hold on. I have something about this. Okay. He is about to be killed. He knows it. There's gunfire. The bad guys are very close and he yells, it's this address. Here's the address. I thought that too. And I was kind of like, I'm going to, I'm going to have a suspension of disbelief here and just pretend that the guns are just too loud on their side. They're like tromping around the grass outside. It's like (laughs) breaking windows and they just can't quite hear him. They were like one door away. They heard it. Yeah, I know. But then, but then now knowing that he's evil, he was telling them. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, he was practically screaming it. He was like, it's this exact address. Go here. So yeah. she does. Well, in the meantime, and this was this part was very upsetting, but also you know, properly spooky for a movie like this. So I give it credit. We see a chemist creating the virus. We learn about the virus and it has like this incubation time of a couple of days, which makes it really insidious because it can be spread in that time and it causes death. And uh, then we see some kids knock a soccer ball in there and break open a vial and then go get their soccer ball. And the guy, the chemist doesn't say, get out of here. He just lets them walk in and take the soccer ball and leave. And he's like frozen in horror, but he could have said like, hey kids, I'll get your soccer ball. They're like, don't, don't come in. And it was also like, my feeling is like oh I'm sorry did seeing the faces of the children who you're going to affect like that suddenly bothered you I mean well it didn't stop him from like giving the chemical to the terrorists I mean right well I mean yeah he gives the chemicals to the terrorists first and then he and then they they got some of the extra yeah but like if you're making this biological warfare weapon you have to know that it's who it's going to affect i mean it's not like it's just gonna be adults they're testing it on rats yeah right i just like that has to be such strong cognitive dissonance to be like i mean i guess it's just easy to compartmentalize when you're making a when you're a terrorist murder weapon <laughs> i thought that the scientist was going to be shot by the by the terrorist mercer oh yeah the the uh, trust fund jihadi <laughs> yeah I thought he, I thought they were, he was going to hand over the virus and then he was going to shoot him. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't they shoot him? Maybe they were afraid of like breaking up in a vial. Yeah, maybe. But they should have. Wanted him to, you you know, make more. Oh, to make more for their next terrorist attack. Anyway, these kids get infected. That was a really, really upsetting. 
Yeah. Um, and then they go back to their houses and we don't see them again for quite a while. Um, but that's when we get to finally see Orlando Bloom. Yes. <laughs> like 40 minutes in. Okay, so I have a question. It was produced by a company, you know, various companies. One was called Bloom Productions. Yeah. Do you think this was his production company? I'm sure. Maybe that's why he's not like, he doesn't have more screen time. Because he was like, I'm going to take a less screen time role for a producer role. I don't know. I think they want him to be in it more. Again, producer can mean anything, as you know. I do know. Um, He's very flirty. He's very flirty. He's like really into her, like trying to like make something happen with her. And she's just not into him. It's like she doesn't even perceive the flirting. She's not reacting at all. No, but I kind of liked that. I liked that when they eventually do work together, it's because of threats and not because she's in love with him. Yeah, that's fair. It's more like she's using him to her advantage as opposed to being like, I've fallen in love with you in our two hours together. You're right. She is very focused on her job too. She's not going to be distracted by him. By a man who might be stealing the TV. Yeah, so that's how they meet. He's uh, robbing the the safe house that she's walking (laughs) into. Very conspicuously robbing it too. She stops him, ties him up, and he's like, ooh, I like that. (laughs) trying to flirt there's this very funny tiktok video going around where it's like the the audio is like somebody being kidnapped but the the person being kidnapped is like oh hey but why 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 did you choose me am i special why would you kidnap me (laughs) and i feel like that's orlando bloom being like oh you're tying me up you're holding me like you want me to lay down on the ground and take off my clothes (laughs) am i special yeah it does feel like that. That's definitely what he was doing. He was like flirting and he was also very like not concerned at all about what was happening. Just like, okay with everything. But right away, the, the apartment gets broken into. This time, I guess these are real cops. Well, so yeah, it was real cops because it was the actual CIA who sent the British cops. But she, she had like run down to the building and switched the landlines so that they traced the call to um, a different apartment. Oh, even though they figured it out immediately and came to her apartment. They they do that that after they did you know that scene where she's like looking across the window thing. Yeah. So they go sure, to that then, apartment. Then first. within seconds they came to her. Yeah. I don't know what happened, but yeah. Like they figured it out. Yeah. Maybe they ran down to the building and checked and saw. Or sorry, down to the building like system, switchboard system. Either way, they end up at her place. But those are the real cops though? I think so. I think those are the real British cops. Did she kill them? Or just like incapacitate them? Because I don't really remember. I'm going to say she incapacitated them. Because that'd be better. You'd probably be real bad if she killed them. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, they weren't the bad guys. Um, this is when she's called the CIA boss, John Malkovich, and been like, hey, so here's the deal. The guys were not the real CIA. And they had all the codes, though. So you probably have like someone on the inside who's turned. But it's not me. And I'm on the run. Help me. And they're like, cool, we're going to send you help. But really, they're sending people to like detain her, I guess, or beat her up. Yeah, which seems, I mean, what were they, were they going to like interrogate her? Because that feels like a waste of time. I think they were going to interrogate her because later John Malkovich says that she had this information and she, no, she was the last person to see Latif alive and resisted or, or didn't come to her check-in. Right. As if that was a check-in when they beat up that poor woman across the street. But it just seems like interrogating her would have been, like I said, like a waste of time. And they've got this deadline, basically. I guess they don't know about the bio. Well, they kind of do know about the biological weapon. Um, they, right. know something, they know something is going to go down. They definitely know about the biological weapon because they're talking about the trust fund jihadi and the, the special K weapon. And it's on everyone's wish list exactly so they know about it but yeah why waste time in any case she takes care of them and orlando bloom does too and he's like i like trouble oh yeah well he also says she's like how did you do that and he's like oh i play video games that was funny yeah so he's like, well i was also in the marines and i went to iraq and blah 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 and he also said something like very defensively about like my best friend was in a bombing i thought he was like saying that to like mess with her at first because her bombing history oh uh-huh and I suppose it makes a lot of sense as a tactic when we find out later on that he's a bad guy to try and bond with her or something. Yeah, I don't think he had that much information, though, um, about her, like, personally, but I could be wrong. But it would be oh. a really good tactic. Do you think he just authentically also lost someone in a bombing? Uh, I think it was a different bombing. Well, I know, but oh, yeah. incidentally, he also lost his best friend in a bombing and decided to bring it up to her? 
Yeah, maybe probably not. <laughs> well, maybe. I suppose if that's the case, that is kind of lazy writing though. If it's just like, and then he also lost someone in a bombing just by chance. Yeah, you're right. I mean, let's let's say that um he was doing it to needle her. That's better. He, he must have. They do, they definitely know her background. They definitely know about yeah. Paris. So no, you're right. saying it to like make her think of that or get her off her game a little bit because she doesn't suspect him. Well, and a lot of the scenes are to love them together are like the one or the other kind of trying to push the other away or like or of Orlando Bloom like trying to get her off her game or like distract yeah. her. Um, so that would make sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But they meet up with that sweet kid. Oh, I know. Amjad. And they meet his little baby and his wife. I just wrote, oh, please don't let Amjad die. I know. I, my, my exact first thought is like, he's going to die. I don't want him to die, but he's going to. Right. We've met his kid. We've met his mom, his wife. So young and just. Oh. And so sweet. I know. You're so excited to be like part of the gang. And helping and. I thought he was going to die earlier. I thought he was going to die when they sent him, put him in the car to watch out. I did too, actually. I thought he I was going to get shot fight. there. And then I thought when he went to the apartment building, I thought those kids he asked for a cigarette from were going to like stab him to death or something or shoot him. Oh, man. I did. Yeah. <laughs> and then it, then when we come back down there and he's just like having fun with all the guys, I'm like, oh, I know. It was really sad. I think he's the person I, I'm most sad about in this movie. Me too. That was that was the most tragic death. Yeah. We have a couple of s- series of really interesting action sequences here. Very gritty. <laughs> yeah, this is when basically uh, they go up to this apartment, whatever, They and she finds out that Orlando's lying. That he's yeah. not who he says he is. Because he slips up and he says... He references an, a, a tour in Afghanistan and not in Iraq. Yeah. And I was surprised by that too. I was like, oh, dang, she got tricked, tricked again by the same guy, gang of baddies. I know. Also, they never say thank you to Amjad. You know, when, when he's like, well, you could say thank you for like leaving me down here. And they never you know, do. She doesn't have time to say thank you. It takes two seconds. <sighs> okay. Then there's the scene in the elevator. Yeah. You were talking yeah. about the gritty action scenes. Go on. Okay. No, no. You, I was going to say you're right. Like, yeah, this is where we learn that Orlando is bad. And they start to beat each other up and he kind of gets the upper hand. And then we get to this scene where she's like super bloodied or she's got like a bloody nose. They get into the elevator with this guy and his two raw, two muzzled Rottweilers. And he looks kind of like a skinhead. Yeah, yeah, he does. And he kind of looks at her and he looks away. And I just thought, is this just another day in this apartment building? Like, oh, woman with a bloody nose, whatever. Yeah. But Alice surreptitiously like undoes the muzzle of one of the dogs. And then she hits the guy. She hits the owner, I think. And then shoves Orlando Bloom. Right. In the way of the dog. Yeah. Um, and then we've like cut back to Amjad and we don't really see. We just hear a bunch of sh- yelling and snarling and there's a, a gunshot. And he shot the dog. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Like, the dog got a good bite out of Orlando. Yeah. And uh, he shot the dog. Also. Horrible. During this scene, the the dogs that I'm here with were both like freaking out. Were they barking? No, they just went on high attention and started looking around. And I know I had to reassure them and let them know that everything was fine and they're safe and loved. Orlando Bloom is really scary in these scenes. Yeah, he got very scary. Before they get into the elevator, it was just very, yeah, very threatening. And like, that's all I have to say. They take their fight into this parking garage and it looks really bad for our lead lady. But then the skinhead comes out of the elevator with his other dog and he's like, go get her. Like, go get him. He sticks his other dog on Orlando and also has a gun. And then I thought we were going to see Orlando again, but he is dead. Yeah. He's like dead, real dead. Yeah. I mean, the guy shot him and also dog attack. Well, he deserved that from killing that dog. And for, you know, beating up our main lady and... But we discovered that he, this was supposed to be like a quick and easy job for him. And she made it tough. This is also where we get the shot of the, the kid. Oh, with Yes, we go back to the kid. Who's been infected and it's really sad and really awful. It was really graphic too. They really, they, they really need to make him bleed out of his eyeballs and nose and mouth. It was a lot. But basically they're like, okay, here's how it's transmitted. And like, it takes long, but it does, it's really quick with kids. Like it affects them worse. Do we think that kid is going to die? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that he's like not long for this world. I mean, he was like convulsing and I know all of his orifices were pouring blood. <laughs> I think the reason we only saw one kid is the other one didn't make it already. 
Oh God. I was going to say, this is also when we find out that the bombing wasn't her fault, but we already discussed that. So go ahead. I was going to say, this is when we get to the scene with Amjad going in to deliver the message. And that's, yeah, that's when Tony Collette tells her that the bombing wasn't her fault. And that's when I had the thought or like the feeling of like, is she being an unreliable narrator? Is she actually like the mole? Um, Alice. Okay. How could that happen? I don't know. I don't really know why I thought that. Oh no, I meant Tony Collette. I'm so sorry. Oh, sure. Yeah. She's like, yeah. I kept on looking for the, who would it be? Who's the person, you know? Yeah. Right. And it ended up being like, well, I guess Michael Douglas. But yeah, so their big plan now is because the trust fund jihadi guy didn't see the original courier. They're going to send in her sweet little friend instead. Mm-hmm. And they put a bulletproof vest on him. And he's just so excited to be there. And he's like, can you take a picture of me? I can't wait to tell everyone. And she's like, you I can't know. tell anyone. So I'm having so much fun. Just goes to show how young he is. He's like yeah. he's 18. And this is exactly what an 18 year old would be doing. Like, even if he understands the gravity of the situation, he doesn't it's really so cool to him. Yeah. And um, he speaks Arabic. So they teach him what to say. Oh, and it's all also established that like the message is like stand down. Yeah. The Amman is tired of the bloodshed. And yeah, he got, he got really tired after he killed all those people on the boat. He decided like a week ago that he wanted to change his ways. Um, so he's got this message of like, chill out. And they're meeting in like a boat dock. And that's also when we, I noticed, I'm sure you did too, that one of the guys in the MI5, you know, SWAT team is one of the bad guys from earlier. Oh yeah. I forgot to mention that. Like, blonde guy. Yeah. Every movie needs a platinum blonde villain. And Yes. So many movie- people have them. I know. You'd really think that MI5 would be like, hmm, brunette, brunette, natural blonde, platinum blonde. We gotta keep records well, it's, of this. It's specifically a platinum blonde man. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, and yeah, you're right. They're always bad. Yeah. So we see our platinum. I mean, also it, it seems like kind of a lazy movie thing, right? Because they're easier to see visually and you're going to remember Oh, the blonde one versus if just one of the many brunette men, you'd be like, which one is the bad guy? I don't know. He's a little lazy. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> but yeah, so he's with them. So we know there's like a bad guy in the crew and they go to this like boat dock in the middle of the night. Basically, instead of sending the trust fund jihadi, they send another bad guy. So they're intercepted again by evil CIA team who goes and they shoot um, on to be the trust fund jihadi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He pretends, so it's like a double cross in a way. Um, he, he pretends to be the trust fund jihadi. He shoots Amjad and evil platinum dude kind of takes out his entire team. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Alice is underneath the dock because she thinks, she sees a wire and thinks that like it was meant to like explode the dock, which I was also afraid of happening. Yeah. With her, with her friend. Um, and then her friend goes into the water and he's still alive. And I was really hopeful at that point. And then he gets shot in the back. Um, yeah. I was confused what, how, how and why the bad, bad CIA team got the trust fund jihadi in the car and why he was like in a car with them when the whole plan yeah. was to meet up on this dock. Yeah. Why were they supposed to meet like at the dock, not on the water? I don't know. It clearly seems like they're like in bed with him. I mean, that's the message he he wanted to hear the go ahead message. He was like prepared to hear that no matter what. Sure. And there's no telling that even if he heard this like chill out guy message, he would have agreed to that. But anyway, the bad guys tell him that the Iman said, go ahead, go for it. And, uh, and the plan continues. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. But that's when we see what the setup is going to be, that they picked a sports arena playing an American football game with all these Americans and people from London together in a really crowded space. And then they're going to leak it into the elevators with as many people there as possible. That way they'll all spread all the people there and then take it home to their countries and spread it there. But our technician has a change of heart. Too late. Again. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. What did you think this was going to happen? Like, couldn't he have had his change of heart while he was installing the the poison, the bioweapon and just like, been like, oh, I disagree with my choices. And then like taking it out of the vent. Yeah. Instead of calling the. Right. Instead of calling the bad guys and saying, hey, I don't think I want to go through with our evil plan anymore. I think I feel bad about it. You'll still let me live. Right. Right. Like I can, I can quit now. Right. Like clearly it's fine for me to like abandon ship now. 
Right. Ugh. So he gets killed. Michael Douglas sets the timer. Yep. Oh yeah. Michael Douglas is revealed to be alive. Alive and evil. And I was surprised. I wrote in my notes, I am surprised by the, all these twists. Uh, I, I wrote, was. I, I didn't think he was alive, but he was dead. I said, what? I knew it was going to be a Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. Every time they did a big surprise, I was shocked. Like in the dock, I was shocked when it wasn't the trust fundy hottie guy. Like I yeah. fell for every one of these Mr. X. We're just like Alice. Yeah, we, we are. Just like Alice, I think, except for more expressive. This is where we get the bad guy speech. Any other thoughts about the big bad guy speech from Michael Douglas? No, I was a little more concerned with trying to, you know, I wanted Alice to call her superiors and get them to evacuate the stadium. Oh, yeah. I guess that would have required the elevators. Yeah, probably. Well, Julie had five minutes. I mean, better to argue with the terrorists in front of you than try and call in an evacuation. Yeah, that's true. You might get put on hold or have to go through the switchboard or <laughs> right. unless they don't trust her. They're so they're not going to do anything with her information. I will also say I really liked that this movie as proving now so many times in action movies, one of my biggest complaints is that I'm screaming at the screen like, do you have time for this? Yeah. But this movie seemed to recognize that there wasn't actually time for things mm-hmm. um, unless there was. But in this case, yeah. I don't really have anything else to say about the Michael Douglas speech. I feel like we covered it pretty well. I really, I feel like I, I heard the speech. I heard the words he said. I heard her interjecting with an explanation because it was so muddled. Um, I still don't feel like I understand his motivation. And can you explain it to me if you do? It was like pseudo patriotism and it was part power. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense that he felt like, well, it's, it's so hard because at one point he says like, we just got to catch up to mother nature. Yeah, what um, was that? I don't know because it's made, made in the lab. So partly I think he felt like probably his suggestions weren't being taken seriously enough. <laughs> like he wanted a plague yeah. um, protection set in place, you know, and all this stuff. Right. I think it is partly also that he felt like the American government should have more control over privacy, like we said. Right. But I think the the filmmakers or the writers might have been unwilling to make him too much of one or the other and kind of went for like a mix of everything too much of one or the other of of like either he wants absolute control or he believes that america can really step it up and like become a player on the world stage and he's doing it for like a protective reason for his country a wrong reason and completely like yeah like completely like unhinged yeah so i I think they could have gone one way or the other I I i think that makes a lot of sense thank you for explaining it to me I, I needed that because the way he explains it, it's all, it just seems like a manic rant about 9-11 and this and that and quarantine camps. I mean, I think it also can be that where it's this mat, like this man who has too much power is unhinged, you know? So it can also be option three, which is <laughs> just a manic rant and everything fits within this, this power play. I mean, you'd have to be pretty nuts to think this is a great idea. And then oh. it wouldn't like affect you. Aren't you close enough that you're going to get infected? That's what I was just thinking. Like, how, what is his protection? Does he have like some sort of antidote or vaccine? Right, or a gas mask? And like, doesn't seem like it. Cause Tony Collette was around the kid that was bleeding, but she was in like a head to toe, like ET style um, space suit. Like, like when ET was sick. Yeah. Like a hazmat. Yeah. Hazmat suit. I don't know. And then there's that little explosion while the two of them are fighting. And I thought it was a thing going off. I'm like, oh my God, they're all infected. But it was just like another little explosion. Yeah, like a firework or something. Oh, it was, no, it was the um, platinum evil guy threw a grenade. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what it was. He could have just shot them. <laughs> I can't, I can't begin to understand like the machinations of evil platinum, platinum blonde men in movies. They're insidious. We really should start a list. There's so many of them. All right, so let's wrap this movie up. Tell us about the end of this film. Okay, so here's what happens. Platinum blonde dude shot at Alice. Um, She dodged him. He yells at Michael Douglas, like, get out of the way, and throws this grenade. It blows up. They've all got the ringing in their ears. Alice somehow manages to shoot evil blonde guy. And then she and Michael Douglas are, like, engaged in a real standoff. Oh, she's hanging over, like, the edge of the the stairway. Um, and he basically stands over her and like doesn't really try to pry her fingers off or like stomp on her hands. Oh, he literally lets her drag him over the ledge. 
I know. Maybe he's having like his moral conscious issue and is like, I can't not do this. But he really lets her like grab onto him very slowly and like gain hold and pull him over the edge. So eventually he's dangling too. And he's got the timer on his phone. She grabs his phone and manages it to save it at the last moment or, you know, stop it. Yeah, like three seconds. And he plunges to his death. Then she pulls herself up and exits the building where she meets up with John Malkovich, who is not bad, apparently. Right. And who's like, he's like, oh, you want me to apologize? Instead of apologizing, I'm going to say like, like, just go get the guy. And then we have this little epilogue scene where we're taking to, to Prague, where just run jihadi is on a train and he's meeting up with his you know cohort of terrorists Terrorists. and as he's going down the steps he like locks eyes with his with his contact and he's on his way to to terrorize the world yeah and alice slashes his femoral artery i believe with a knife very surreptitiously and uh disappears into the crowd while he bleeds out on the steps Yep. Yeah. She slices his thigh right open um, without being seen by anybody, even though like she has her hair out and everything like she's got a terrible wig, but you know, it's very blonde. Yeah. So she kills him really quick. I had some thoughts. Um, When you're on the run, because he's on the run, Mm -hmm. do you only eat like Cheez-Its? What do you mean? And like Doritos and like hot dogs from a gas station. Oh, because you can't like... You're not stopping in restaurants. Right. Unless you're paying in cash. But that's like not being on the run. Like just sit down for two hours and have a meal. Probably. I mean, it's probably and then I thought good. if you're only eating your hot dogs and your Cheez-Its, um, you'd get some cardio in from all the running away from people, I think. Well, but you don't want to run, right? Like the you're most on the run. Thing. So there's running. Oh, right, right. Well, there's like a lot, maybe a lot of fast moving, but I don't know. I think running would be involved, like would put him too much out in the open. It's too conspicuous. Maybe he's doing speed walking. Um, Actually, that's like twice as conspicuous. (laughs) Maybe he's just walking at like a New York City pace, but in Ohio. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like like him on that train, like he probably ate only cheese that Sunday. Sad for his digestion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that is sad. It was gas station hot dogs. And I mean, that's one of these things these movies will never address is when did anyone have time for a bathroom break? But he's going to need a couple more. Yeah, the film ends with her agreeing to go back to the CIA. Which we've already discussed that we don't understand why. No, go back to your friend, Tony Collette, unless she died from that virus. Unless Tony Collette becomes our next movie villain. She is platinum blonde. That's what I mean. Yeah. She's like set up for it to happen. And that's the end of this film. Do you feel like this movie was like trying to set up a sequel? I think they left it pretty loosely open-ended. I think it could have a sequel. Like it felt like this could have gone into a, a Bourne series. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Like her next mission with uh, John Malkovich. Yeah. I mean, it feels pretty insular, but I, I think it could have gone that way. Would you watch the sequel? I would. Maybe. I mean, well, it's tough because all the people, I did like her as Alice. And I thought, again, it was really tight writing and very twisty turny. But uh, a lot of the people that I liked, aside from Alice, all died. Yeah, everyone except for Tony Clint died and John yeah. Malkovich. So probably not, because in a sequel, I need to see some of the characters I really liked. Yeah, totally. Well, out of five trash can readings, Rand, how many trash cans would you give this? Probably two and a half. I think there are a lot of questions I had about other things and just kind of my own unease with um movie a movie about terrorism now that i'm gonna jock it to two two and a half what about you how many trash can fires would you give it i think two i didn't like this movie um like i said i love the twists i think i think it was very successful in surprising me lots of times which it's hard for a movie that i think overall is kind of bad to do to be successful it surprised me and it really was i was genuinely excited by these twists i just didn't think there was much to alice's character Mm-hmm. there's literally no backstory no motivations no like there's nothing going on for me for her and I didn't think the acting was that strong with her and I like you I don't like movies about terrorism and in, in general it's depressing it's too real and it always feels a little bit like politically sticky where I don't know if it's like saying the right thing or doing the right thing or is this like you know are these stereotypes or or not um where it just makes me uncomfortable and also it's too real like we deal with terrorism in our world 
So I, it just makes me sad to see it. And also we deal with biological, you know, it, not weapons, but with vi- killer viruses in our world. So that was tricky to see too. I wonder how we would have felt about this movie if we had watched it in 2017. Yeah. We'd be like, that will never happen. And I think that's kind of what the movie thought too. Like, sure. this is just so out there. I mean, it's again, to reference Enemy of the State, where it was like, at the end of that movie, they they signed a bill that didn't, you know, didn't give away people's protections. For now. And then we know in real life they did. Yeah. And later on, uh, the Patriot Act was passed. Right. Yeah. Six years later, or maybe almost 10 years. I guess what we're saying is that movies can't be trusted to know the future. No, they can't. I have decided to make an, an, an amendment to my rating. I'm going to land it too. Okay. Uh, consider it adjusted. We'll, we'll change it in the, uh, we carved it into stone, but now we'll chip it away and make a new stone. Next week, we're going to be back with Uncharted. Came out this year, I believe, 2022. This year. Um, so it's available streaming if you want to watch it in advance. If not, we will spoil it. Um, and in the meantime... Um, if you're enjoying our podcast, please remember to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. It helps other people find our podcast, and we just love reading reviews. So leave us a written review, please. If you have a movie recommendation or a compliment, you can send that to ladiesgetaction at gmail.com. And also you can find us on Instagram at ladiesgetaction. And Rin, where can people find you? People can find me on Instagram at Rin Olson. That's R-I-N-O-L-S-S-O-N. You can also find me on my website, which is just rinolson.com. Rebecca, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Rebecca Ringley Casting. And in the latest credits of which TV show? Oh, yes. And uh, the credits for The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yes. Thank you, Rin. Well, until next time. Get get some some action. action.